0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B Donnelly and I am the host and producer of this show and it is a pleasure to welcome you here today and to share the voices of four more exciting poets who will all be reading from either a recent or upcoming collections including the number one Amazon bestseller The Deep Time Anthology from Black Bow Poetry. Today's tales will take us over currents of identity and robots the things we lost, and the things history have left in our hold. Along with folklore, fracking, heartbreak, and of course, can we really talk about anything these days without a mention of the apocalypse? Today I feel like I am the balancer of the boat as we have two guests from the west joining me from the United States and two guests to the east of me, one in Scotland and the other in England. So here I am in the middle on Ireland's east coast, swirling and crashing and feeling like the pirate cat who got the cream. Therefore, let's pull up the anchor and set sail. Today I'm going to open the show and read another poem inspired by Paris as I'm currently working on my first full collection. On Facebook last week I was reminded that it was the anniversary of the first time I read poetry in Paris at the famed Eau Chat Noir, The Black Cat, which was just a street away from where I lived in Mélimontan in a building that was actually condemned by the council, something that my lovely landlord overlooked when he introduced me to the building and left me living there for a full year on the fifth and top floor, Until the police knocked on the door one day and told me there was a possibility the whole building was about to fall down. Ooh la la. This poem is called Temporary Things. Listen, she said. Delicious can die young. Breath is but a rush of air. A scratch doesn't always leave a scar. Eternity is a temporary thing. And I heard. Now I eat candied flowers of marbled moments made while nights devour stars bleeding their way through time and space. Even in basements. Bleeding can be beautiful. I sip from the saucer of liquid lovers, soon to be ghost lost to scent, who poured me in poetry after their parting like climbing up and out of the black cat after. Perfume is now as fragile as porcelain, see how it purrs i try to lay carefully those meanders along these lines those lives that sparked a flame before moving on to the meniscus of another's milk listen she said and i was off running on all fours leaving behind those cut flowers and smashed saucers as paw prints. My first guest here on the show today is the author of the poetry collection Vision and Other Things We Hide From, which was recently published by Potters Grove Press. She is a widely published American poet with poems in various publications including anti Heroin Chic, Dissident Voice, Fevers of the Mind in parentheses, Misfit Magazine, Open Journal of Arts and Letters, Poetry, Quarterly and many more. Her work, as you will shortly hear, focuses on self-awareness as a means to social awareness. Taking time out from kayaking in upstate New York to join us today, I am thrilled to welcome today's first guest, Samantha L. Tyrrell.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Samantha Terrell, and my new book, Vision and Other Things We Hide From, is available now from Potter's Grove Press or Amazon.com. I wanted to thank Damian so much for inviting me to be a part of the Eat the Storms podcast. I'm really excited for this opportunity. I wanted to share some work from my new collection, but also just some other uh, variety of poems that I had chosen that I hope everyone enjoys. I'm gonna start uh, with First Existential Crisis. Science alleges that newborns cry to open up their lungs, learn to breathe, But don't we all know it's also because they've already glimpsed eternity and now they've glimpsed the world? Physics and biology are great, but they don't separate us much from birds or dogs. What is the scientific method without philosophy to formulate questions and hypotheses? Give me facts, proof, knowledge, and scientific classification, but give me two a spellbound sense of newborn existentialism. Thank you. That was uh, First Existential Crisis and it is in my new collection um, as well as What We Have Lost. This is What We Have Lost. We lost the war to robots and no, this is not some dystopian poem. With the Industrial Revolution, we may have gained productivity and capitalist wealth. We trained a workforce that answers to the sounds of bells and chimes, promptly, diligently returning to factory workstations, where loaves of bread are uniformly made and car parts are efficiently manufactured. But we lost the smell of homemade bread filling kitchens and teaching children to tinker with mechanics. Now the factory jobs are gone too. The war was lost, but maybe we have won. This next poem is called Song of the Living Dead, and it is not uh, in my new collection. I'm hoping that it might be coming out um, in a future collection, of course, Um, but it is called Song of the Living Dead. The living bury ourselves in shame of pipeline trenches dug. The living are ripped jaggedly, lengthwise, symmetry undone by fracking. The salt of the living bleeds nuclear waste, leaking into ocean waters. The living mourn the loss of nature's bountiful song, supplanted by the drone strikes of the dead. bit of a darkness and brooding one I realize Um, (laughs) my husband teases me about those but um, I do like to keep it real as they say and a lot of my poetry is social justice oriented Um, I have a background in sociology and uh, I tend to write for self-awareness as a means to social awareness so that's kind of my cause speaking of self-awareness This next one is uh, a part of my collection and it is called Parched. Holding your glass full of ice is trying when the melting upsets you. And though meaning no disrespect, I can't keep my hands from warming it. In this intense heat, with no drink, your sensitivity is stifling. And I am one with the ice. Transformed by undue circumstances until half the size of the original solid squares, a puddle of indifference gathers at the bottom of this pool. Then Father Time adds bitters, and the cup is filling up. Yet we so desperately still need a splash of sweet. couple more poems here i would like to read uh coaxing out existence coaxing out existence is i believe up on my website that's samanthaterrell.com um so if anybody wants to take another look at it uh, this is coaxing out existence by the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread until you return to the ground because out of it were you taken for dust you are and to dust, you shall return. That's Genesis 3:19. Lately, I've been wondering about the line between existing and thriving. I don't think I'm dust in the wind so much as dust behind a bookcase, waiting to be swept out. Pioneers worked hard to make dust thrive, tilling the hard-packed stuff into something valuable. Engaging in ironic tasks like sweeping out dirt-floored sod houses, watering the earth with tears and sweat, until what they were doing was finally more than surviving. They were one with the land, embodying their surroundings. That must be thriving. I want to embody my surroundings too, turn the dust of me into worthwhile words in books on the shelf I hide behind. I'll close today with uh, Post-Post-Apocalypse. It's written um, over the past year here, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. I want to thank Damien again so much, and hope everyone has a pleasant day. Post-Post-Apocalypse. Towards a Mad Max reality, the air isn't fresh anymore. We can close each other out with more than masks and social distance. And sometimes we must. With the water compromised in many places, there's reason to believe the ugly faces of greed will monopolize on scarcity. Then, all will be lost. But to say it will be indicates it isn't already. And sadly, returning lost wanderers to barren, desolate wasteland doesn't make them found. Only feelings can do that. Finding feelings in a barren wasteland is never easy. But they're lurking there, under stray rocks, behind small yucca plants. They're the strong ones that can survive harsh conditions. And some emotions are tumbleweeds blown hither and yon, hard to catch in the wind. When you get one, grab it. It will feel coarse and hard to deal with. That's okay. Pick it apart. Drop the rough seeds of it onto the barrenness and somehow it will sprout anew. Blown about even more until the whole deserted place is full of nonsense. But somehow nonsense will be better than nothing at all. Once all the seedlings of yesteryear and future are bound up together... The world will start to make sense again. We'll get past this post-apocalyptic wilderness of inhospitable selfishness and its insatiable appetite for power. Because when power no longer wields influence, we'll return from harsh reality to tender humanity. Thanks again.
0: My next guest on today's show, just like Stuart Rawlinson last week and Andy McGregor the week before, is a poet whose work was recently published in Deep Time Volumes 1 and 2, my favourite anthologies from last year published by the Black Bow Poetry. I'm so excited to have him on the show today as he will be reading two poems from those collections which was inspired by the incredible Underland by Robert MacFarlane. He is a poet and a history lecturer and currently on the verge of completing a torturous PhD thesis. He writes poetry about landscape, environment, nature, travel and mental health while running, walking and taking photographs. And today he's about to take us on some exceptional journeys. Dearest listeners, helmets on for the descent into the mines in the expert company of Stephen
2: J. Burke. Hi Damien, thanks very much for inviting me to contribute to your podcast in such great company. I'm a historian and that's something that creeps into my poetry often. I'm really really interested in exploring where natural and human histories interact and ways that language can get to grips with that interaction. Themes of nature's resurgence keep coming up when I write and I suppose there's often a qualified optimism about natural resilience that I don't often find in my critical work. These first two short poems engage with the fading proof of industrial heritage in the land, in the valley of my childhood and across the wider northeast region. They both focus on what went on beneath the landscape and the once ubiquitous drift mines when local endeavours were so intent on ripping coal from under the land. They were published last year in Black Bow Poetry's gorgeous Deep Thy- Time anthology volumes 1 and 2. Lungs. Below my childhood home, fifty fathoms down, Tunnels were hewn by naked, sweating men who mined black gold for bread for rent. They bore into danger, carved fossilised forest. It spat slack as they broke it free, breathing the dust of prehistory, sealing untimely deaths. Delving. North of the Humber, Norse myth endured as real life for men both bowed and proud by their labour. Dwarves, primordial, bone and blood, delved under Permian layers to fossilized first woods. They broke stone first with pick and axe, then powered drill, shot fire exploder, from hilltop and valley floor to deep drifts under the sea. <music> I haven't written much creatively since the autumn. I wrote this one most recently, reflecting on the storm sounds of some wild weather outside in the darkness the night before. I had just completed and submitted my PhD thesis and I've been struggling to find the motivation to write much or with any great concentration and focus since then. Almost without intending to, I think I've managed to write about this ambivalent sense of an ending that submitting the work has brought to me. Emerging After Tempests Last night Rain like gravel poured on the skylight, wind like locusts in plagues, ravened through cold might of wood and stone and earth, tore ground, scored wounds deep in impervious skins, raised permanence to prone rack. detritus littered open space. Broken branch limbs dashed to floor by unsighted sinew, iron bracing smashed to kindling, now reduced to obstacles, tripping the dazed emerging from behind protective doors. Another meeting of themes that I keep returning to is the blend of natural history, folklore and the immediacy of new life that can be found in the woodland. I'm working on a body of poems that address this across seasons and locations. This one is set particularly close to my current home in South West Leicestershire and it's called Spring Woods Common. The spring continues at such a rate here that last week's tiny oak leaflets have turned into three quarter sized real oak leaves. Cheered with lush new spring bright, these fresh foils unfurled. Hazel, field maple, alder by the mere. Higher in the canopies, silver jade, speckled shades are closing over the clear patches of winter woodland litter glades. There, successions of flowers parade. The wood anemone are nearly gone. The celandine, too. Herb Robert remain. The bluebells are passing their brief stardom, but the stitchwort lifts sharp white starlight born forth in clusters among the drooping curled lilac lanterns. At the brim of a path rough formed. A stand of yellow archangel, bud-pearled. A carder be nestled in one full bloom, covered in golden pollen. Out of the shade, of wood, to meadows, past bundles of broom. The cuckoo flower, mayflower, pale milkmaid. These lady smocks of the fairies, with hints of humming pinks, catching the eye, illumined, vaguely from thirty yards, faint-faded glints. Up close, many bunched heads peer out. Attuned. There's a fairly new online poetry magazine called The Adriatic which has produced three beautifully designed issues so far. Their second issue in December explored the theme of home and included this poem, Summer Fades, on page one with a nice little drawing of a pie. They billed me on Twitter as the king of nostalgia for this poem, which I think some of my colleagues might find especially amusing. From winter and spring, then, now to late summer. Summer fades. The brambles in our garden are giving forth bulging blackberries abundantly, the fair fruits of calculated neglect. An August crop of reiterating full fruitfulness, of swelling succulence. The coppice damson was the one to bring forth harvest time so satisfyingly last year. Every day we went to collect the tart sweet droops, the powdered purpling, prizes of our horticultural somnolence. Those fruits became crumbles, jams, fresh singing, mouthfuls of juice, fibre, skin. Subtly, a yeast taste of life was there to detect on the tongue, harvest hints of brewer's spring. We steeped some in gin, stealing their essence. Time to squeeze the last one in then, and this is a late summer scene once again taking an idea and a few words from Low Between Zebras by Underworld from their mammoth year-long project Drift Series 1. This is called Sky Blooms. Clouds of white move towards a standpoint, autonomous units huge in their own right, but not as one spread across the far more enormous sky. Expanding as they approach to a ground-bound beholder, their edges fray, dissolve, send ephemeral scouts ahead and to flanks as they reach space above gardens. They drift with intuition, constant wanderers on airs over landscapes with no discernible friction, in motion by force of weather as weather. Never remaining one shape, or in a single space, shifting in their drifting over, through, out of earthbound time. I've been Stephen Burke. Thank you very much for listening to me.
0: Just before we head on up to Scotland to meet our next guest, I'm going to share with you now a poem that was also featured in the Adriatic magazine along with Stephen's poem. This particular poem of mine is called Other Ways to Dance and I wrote it around this time last year when myself and my mother started doing our five kilometre limit walks to get air, to have a sense of freedom and of course to come home to the comforts of freshly baked bread because then, just like now, it is all about trying to find the right ingredients to create a comfort during Covid other ways to dance. I weigh flour and civet, like snow falling, a few select seconds of harmless dust to decorate these stopped streets with isolated sirens that stir more in the body than the contents of this bowl. I reach for those tiny flakes that offer rise before pouring over the honey, a smooth sweetness to cut the bitterness of all that cannot be held in isolation. Oil comes next with the water, once called incompatible, but when all else is distanced, other things find ways to dance. While it boosts by the window in a bowl of sunshine. We take slow strolls along small paths that meander through muck and memory. Mom points to a rickety door she once knocked on to buy milk. Only a jug left now in an upper window, holding moments that will evaporate. We pass fields and wonder what is leek and what is weed. And in our minds make lists of all that still grows in open pasture while aisles look empty indoors. Back home we sit after bread is baked, finding comfort in its crisp corners. As butter melts over this uncertain heat and we remember yesterday when life was as simple as a slice of bread with butter running. Our next guest is from Glasgow in the United Kingdom, a writer and academic specialising in medical law and ethics, and she will have her debut collection called Drowning coming out later this year, published by the wonderful Indigo Dreams Publishing, and I for one cannot wait to read it. She is the assistant editor of 192 magazine and also the new and shiny Nine Pens Poetry Press. She was Pushcart nominated in 2020 and has been published in Long Poem Magazine, Dust Poetry Press, Ice Flow Press, Dodging the Rain, Twisting Time, Ink, Sweat and Tears and many more and you are now about to see why. Today I am so happy to welcome to Eat the Storm's Mary Ford Neal.
3: Thank you so much, Damien, for the invitation to be part of Eat the Storms, which is such a wonderful forum and community for poets. So I'm thrilled and very grateful to have the opportunity to take part Uh, and grateful to you personally for everything you do for our beloved art form and for lifting all of our creative spirits, especially during the past very difficult year. So I've chosen three poems to share with you, each of which is significant to me in some way. The first is my first published poem, which I wrote as a memorial to my late and very beloved maternal grandmother. The second is a whimsical, sad sea poem that is just a favourite of mine. And the third is a villanelle, which is significant to me because it's the title poem of my forthcoming debut collection with Indigo Dreams. hope that together these three poems also give a sense of the different forms, tones and subject matters that feature in my writing. The first poem I'm going to read uh, is a poem called Jane and this poem is special to me for a couple of reasons. It was the first poem I ever published in Ink, Sweat and Tears where it won Poem of the Month for May 2020 So that was a lovely early uh, validation, I suppose. But mainly this is important to me because it was written in memory of my late grandmother, Jane Bradford. So this is for her. Jane. Jane shapes the town to herself. Of the spire, the pond, the iron bridge and the bandstand, she is undoubted queen. She cooks and eats, she feeds and clothes the world, folding bodies and souls into comfortable communion. She is a ladle, stirring. She brings back treasures from sun-hardened places, gives them up to the damp fingers of grass-stained children. She is a shell hair comb. She plays cards quickly. She smells of cocoa powder or of lilac and vaporises priests with a raised eyebrow. She is a raised eyebrow. She hardly writes at all, but when she does, the lines she makes go through to the pages underneath. She fixes herself to the spot. She pitches tents for the lost, are you lost? She is a compass pointing. And then she moves away. She moves away in all her beauty, in all her how dare use. She moves away in all her certainty, her life its own eloquence. She moves away in all the crimson of her still warm love for her. The second poem I've chosen is a poem called The Sea Wife. Uh, This one was published in February 2021 in Janus Literary uh, and I've chosen this one just simply because it's one of my favourites of my own poems. Um, I just like the folklorish element um, and the kind of whimsical nostalgic feel that the poem has, I think. So The Sea Wife. I tried to marry a wave. He came so softly twice a day bringing me gifts, sea glass and songs and his devotion to me was a wonder of the world and over time through painstaking erosion he gently shaped my heart into a small boat. I found a ring left lying on the sand and knew he meant to marry me but next time he came in as weak as water, towed by an emaciated moon, and somehow his devotion was lethargic and lacked the power to lift my boat and take it. I tried to put my arms around him, vainly, and as he washed away, I tasted salt water. He must have wept at being made to leave me, and he whispered, and I caught it on the breeze, that I should place the ring on my own finger and take great care to keep my heart in boat form. And he is out there now, swirling and crashing, his crest festooned with broken bits of boats, then calming, gently finding foreign beaches that remind him of the beach where he once found me. I know how it must pain him not to find me now, And I sit here, sea wife, for fifteen years. The third and final poem that I've chosen is a poem called "Dawning," And I've chosen this um, because it's a villanelle um, and I really like writing villanelles and I I love the effect of the villanelle form. Um, But also because this is the title poem of my collection, uh, Dawning, that is coming out with Indigo Dreams Publishing later this year. Now this poem was originally published in One Hand Clapping in December 2020. So here it is, Dawning. They stir, begin to gather up their clothes. Morning leaks in where curtains fail to meet. He leaves releasing monsters as he goes. Funny how soon as feeble daylight shows, the bold metallic night admits defeat. They stir, begin to gather up their clothes. Unwelcome sounds and smells of day impose themselves. Flashes of last night can't compete. He leaves, releasing monsters as he goes. Nothing was quite the way she had supposed it would be. She takes cover in the sheet. He stirs, begins to gather up his clothes. A quick kiss and her recognition grows. She should regard the matter as complete. He leaves, releasing monsters as he goes. As of this moment, the sum of what she knows is the soft click of the door. As he retreats, she stirs, begins to gather up her clothes. He leaves, releasing monsters as he goes.
0: My final guest on Eat the Storms today is a queer poet and educator from the American Midwest. He shares his home with his artist's husband and all of their spoiled pets. He enjoys film, yoga and live music and Melissa Etheridge is his ultimate obsession which you will learn more about shortly as he talks about her in one of his poems today. He has an MA in creative writing with a poetry concentration from Southern New Hampshire University and an MFA in writing from the Lindenwood University. He is the author of the chapbooks *Chasing Sunshine*, published by Lazy Adventurer Publishing, and *Splinters*, published by Kelsey Books. Coming soon is *Salem Revisited, which will be published by Tech World Editions in December 2021. So please settle down comfortably in the incredible company of our last guest today, Charles K. Carter.
4: Thank you to Damien for inviting me to partake in the Eat the Storms podcast series. My name is Charles K. Carter. I'm a queer poet and educator from the American Midwest. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ckc poetry. I've had a handful of literary magazine publications and two recent chapbook releases. My first chapbook, entitled Chasing Sunshine, focuses on coming-of-age gay in the American Midwest. This first book was published by Lazy Adventure Publishing. The second chapbook, Splinters, was published by Kelsey Books and it examines humankind through the lens of the natural world, holding a mirror to the similarities and drawing a line in the sand with the differences. Today I'm going to read three poems for you that center around varying forms of heartbreak. The first one is actually a brand new one. It is called The Pigeon and the Owl. I take him to the countryside in the middle of the night where nothing but starlight and insect chirps grace us with their company. He hates the silence. He hates the darkness. He feels uneasy, unsafe, unwelcome in this place, this calm, this meditative space. He is too used to streetlights and the murmurs from a neighbor's TV through the thin apartment wall. He's used to police sirens, flashing lights and bar flies, singing to the sidewalks as they stumble towards home. The green rolling plains of middle America are not a place for a city bird, a pigeon used to being fed pizza crusts by middle-aged tourists in tracksuits and fanny packs. He can't thrive here. He can't survive here. And I can't survive in the city. I am an owl who needs my space untamed sky to hunt and soar. In the end, he left me. He's gone. And all I can say is that I miss his sirens, his streetlight guiding me home. The second poem I'm going to read today is entitled Chasing Sunshine, which is the title piece for my first chapbook by Lazy Adventure Publishing. It was originally published by anti Heroin Chic. This poem examines love and our digital age. I spend the day avoiding reflective surfaces. I was conditioned to not find love in a mirror but to seek it out from others. I spend the better part of the day obsessing over the sky I met online, smiling at his picture saved already to my camera roll. I spend the day daydreaming of falling into his eyes, falling into their universe, swimming in the stars, dreaming of his fingers wrapped around me. I spend the next morning spent from a night of lovemaking, spent from this little spoon scooping out all that was left sweet in me. Let's get coffee, he said. I spend the meal picking at fried hash browns, sipping on no pulp oranges, noticing that he adds three sugars and one cream to his coffee, while I need no added sugar staring at his laugh lines and crooked teeth. I want to spend the rest of the day with him, but I feel him calling it quits, he stops talking with words, instead he communicates with nods and grunts and sideways glances at his phone. I want to spend the day with him to make the sunshine last forever with him, but I see that app open on his phone, that app where I met him online, he's searching for something more. I add sugar to my coffee. I want to spend the day with him, chasing sunshine across the globe from time zone to time zone to time zone. I think I'm grasping too tight. Losing it all to the storm brewing in my coffee, muddied reflections, opening notes to a lonely, lukewarm, sour night. The last poem I'm going to read today is called Time. As an educator, we wear many hats and have a lot of pressure on us coming from all these different angles. And we are often encouraged to give everyone our all, all of the time, and that wears heavy on a person. And I know many folks in many fields of work experience similar stress. In the past year or so, there's been this push towards the idea of self-care, which is wonderful, but sometimes it's easier said than done. Sometimes our own emotional turmoil can inhibit us from taking care of ourselves. And that's the concept behind this piece, how loss distracts the speaker from being able to find peace. This poem is also featured in my first chapbook, Chasing Sunshine. This is time. They say when you're sad, when you're stressed, when you're in need of self-care, that you should enjoy reading your favorite book, watching a favorite movie, or listening to your favorite song. But I'm not sure I have the time for that. For you see, my favorite book, Invisible Monsters, Chuck Palahniuk is 304 pages. The average person reads one page per minute, so rereading my favorite book would take me five hours and four minutes. That's 304 minutes in total, 18,240 seconds. I'm not sure I have the time for that. My favorite movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, is only one hour and 48 minutes. That's 108 minutes, 6,480 seconds. I'm not sure I have the time for that. Let's pretend that this need for self-care is so great that I can muster up time for an episode of my favorite TV show. Will & Grace. I could watch my favorite episode, the one that got me through parental rejection and suicidal thoughts, through gay nightclub shootings and gay panic hate crimes ignored. I've got the entire series on DVD. No need for commercials. It's only 21 minutes and 46 seconds. That's 1,306 seconds total. I'm not sure I have the time for that. What about my favorite song, you ask? I'm fond of Melissa Etheridge. My favorite song, like the way I do when she plays this live, it's like going to church for me. It's like going to church for me because I wasn't allowed in church anymore. Naturally, the live recording is better than the studio version. Melissa's better that way. The 2015 professional live recording is 15 minutes and 32 seconds, 932 seconds in total. I'm not sure I have the time for that. What about the studio version? Five minutes and 25 seconds? 325 seconds? I'm not sure I have the time for that. What I would rather do with my time is stare at my favorite picture of him on the mantle, the one where his smile is his whole face, eyes and all, and my eyes are nervously shifting to the dark spirit who I sensed was there lurking, ready to call him home ahead of his time, ahead of our time. I would rather spend my time with this ghost of him bridging the time we should have had together. It may not be self-care, but I care, and it is my time. It's my time. Thank you. If you like what you heard today or would like to learn more about my work, please follow me on social media at CKCPoetry or visit my website, www.ckcpoetry.com. I do have a third chapbook coming out later on this year and a full-length collection of poetry slated for a fall 2022 release date. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your time. Much love and peace.
0: And that perfect post-post-apocalypse poem brought us perfectly down to the end of today's show. And so to leave you this evening, I am going to share two poems from my debut pamphlet, Eat the Storms. One, because I haven't shared very many poems from it this season. And two, because the sea was a regular guest in the pamphlet. And today I felt like a bridge between my guests from the United States and the United Kingdom. The first poem I'm going to read is called Grains of Sand Beneath Cerulean Skies and the second poem is called Meditation Under the Yellow Sun and is the opening poem to my pamphlet which was published in September 2020 by the wonderful Hedgehog Poetry Press and its fabulous creator Mark Davidson. Grains of Sand Beneath Cerulean Skies Faith is Fragile Courage is not always conclusive. We don't command the waves or comprehend the clouds. I tell you, this sand will be swept into the sea by nightfall. This baying breath of cyan beneath the stretch of the cerulean skies. This smooth, Salt-licked land was forged from fire before you were born. When vultures had feathers instead of hands and knives. When volcanoes were all there was to fear. Faith is fragile. We cannot see what once was or what will come to be. We lie somewhere below the calium, searching for security on a spot of shore, before the tides return and we in turn become grains of sand that some being will one day look upon and try to see what is no longer there it is ours to be the basalt or to be something better So this last poem now is called Meditation Under the Yellow Sun, and it is, as I said, the opening poem to the collection, a collection that I suppose looked at ways of trying to capture beautiful moments, to hold them later when the road was tougher, to be able to hold silence, stillness, when all around you there seemed to be chaos. I suppose, in truth, it's ways of finding a breath to still the panic. I wanted to draw the sound of the moon on a sun-drenched beach. Stripped down to white sand, white wave, white skin starved for affection. I wanted to draw the sound of that moon as the chaos of the current crashed upon the crowds clawing at each other below a spot of sunlight that burnt them quicker than they could contemplate contentment while I sketched the white light of night circling the circumference of day. I wanted to put onto paper the possibility of holding stillness while all else moved. Of leaning in to the moonlight melody while the daylight drowned out thought. of being able to hold silence in a song. I wanted to draw the sound of the moon as the yellow sun stripped the sea from the sand. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we have reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. I have been your host Damien B. Donnelly and my guests on today's show have been Samantha L. Terrell, Stephen J. Burke, Mary Ford Neal and Charles K. Carter. If you are looking for more information on these guests, on how to follow them, on how to find their books, their Twitter handles, their Instagram feeds, please head over to www.eatthestorms.com. Check out the podcast section where you will find a detailed list of every episode and every artist who has been on the show. This was episode 9 of season 2. If you are a poet and want to come and join the podcast, then you are very welcome to drop me an email at eatthestorms at yahoo.com. Okay, we will be back again with you next weekend with more guests on your preferred podcast platform, whether that is Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Breaker, Pocketcast, Overcast, Podbean, Player FM, the choice is yours. The only thing we ask you to do is to tune in and give us a like and a follow if you can. Okay, that's all from me, so take care, be safe, be well, and as always, stay bloody poetic!